Again, we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And we have just one scripture today, verse 13. Hear now the word of God. Deuteronomy 6, 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. As it is brief, although we'll look at the parts, let me review that again. Deuteronomy 6.13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Due to vacation, the last two weeks of December, and the kids' speech and debate tournament the first week of January, coming into this week, it's about three to four weeks from the time that we were here before in Deuteronomy, almost a month since we were at verses 10 through 12. And I want to ask you a question. Do you remember what the sermon was? It's a rhetorical question. Fear not. Uh, it was in the text. You're allowed to look at the text, verses 10 to 12. That was the sermon text. Verse 12 in particular was our focus, beware lest thou forget the Lord. And we were encouraged not to forget. Do you remember what the sermon title was? The point of the sermon. It's all right, I'll give it to you. Glory only in the Lord. Glory only in the Lord. While I remembered the gist of what I'm asking you, I had to look it up too for the specifics, especially the sermon title. I thought, boy, three, four weeks ago, I worked so hard on that, and I got to look it up. That's the point. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget anything, especially affected by sin. Uh, it's so easy to forget God and his word and his commands and his call to be faithful in our relationship with him through Christ. It's so easy to forget. So easy to forget. As soon as we leave today, it's going to be so easy to forget, including me, what we just did. How often, I know Elder Renner has said this, he and I have lamented after giving a message. Man, oh man, the next thing you know, I go right out and I go against what I was just preaching. And uh, it just shows us our need to constantly uh, be reminded and drawn to the Lord and remember it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget God's forgiveness and forget commitment from God to us in the covenant of grace. And it's just as much so easy to forget our own commitment to God in Christ as his redeemed people called to follow Jesus on his narrow way of eternal life. It's so easy to forget. Life is so busy. Life is so challenging. Life is so difficult. It's just so easy to forget. And instead of forgetting God, his people must focus on him in continual covenant commitment. I give that to you as the main idea of this text in its context. Instead of forgetting God, his people must focus on him in continual covenant commitment. <coughs> Pardon me. Meredith Klein writes this on his commentary of Deuteronomy. Swearing by Yahweh's name, that's the end of our verse today, swearing 
by Yahweh's name was in effect a renewal of the oath of allegiance, which ratified the covenant. It was a renewal saying, yes, I'm in covenant. This is who I am. This is my identity. It means I'm supposed to live a certain way, not another way. Supposed to live as Israelites, not Philistines. Supposed to live as Christians, not the Cretans. It's like school children often daily recite the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, not as an inauguration, but as a continual acknowledgement of exclusive commitment to be citizens of the United States of America. So, beloved citizens in Christ of his kingdom of heaven, keep covenant with Christ alone. You have said, we will do what you command, as they did in Mount Sinai. Paul's reminding us here in Deuteronomy, don't forget that. Be renewed in that covenant to him as he's covenanted with you. You've turned to Jesus to be your Savior, your saving Lord. He says, if you're not willing to take up your cross daily and die for me and do what I say, you're not worthy of being called my disciples. But he calls us to discipleship, that is the great commission at the end of Matthew. To do what? Keep all that he has commanded not as a way of salvation, but because of salvation in him, as a witness to the world and a taste of heaven. Keep covenant with Christ alone. Here in these means of grace today, renew your covenant. In the Lord's Supper, renew your covenant with the Lord. And remember, Christ alone and no other. That's the message for you this morning from the text. Keep covenant with Christ alone. Again, it's like marriage. We know in the Bible, the the greatest illustration for the relationship between God and his church, Christ and his church, is marriage. One of the Bible's main illustrations. Now, it's partly to show his faithfulness. There's this incredible prophet, you remember, Hosea. He's told to marry Gomer. And God says she's going to be unfaithful, and she proves to be unfaithful, and you're going to have to go buy her back for being the... Uh, prostitute that she is, you're going to buy her back and you're going to keep her as your wife as a literal witness to Israel that I am her faithful husband and I'll never leave her no matter what. But it's also a reminder that the wife is to be faithful to the faithful husband that continues to get her and bring her back to himself. There's a call often also in this marriage relationship in the scriptures to the wife, the church, the bride, to avoid or turn away from adulterous affairs and be restored in faithful living in our marriage with God through Christ. Remember, in the end, in the new heavens and the new earth, we'll be eating at the great marriage supper of the Lamb. So we're called to be faithfully living with him and eating with him along the way. We're called upon to renew our marriage vows with God in Christ, to remember our life in him, and to live accordingly. Again, remember Deuteronomy. The whole book of Deuteronomy is a very careful structure. At the beginning of this series through Deuteronomy, I gave you great detail. I've renewed it at times. Let me give you a reminder. It is a covenant peace treaty renewal document. It, re- it reflects all of the elements of the ancient Near East peace treaties, covenant peace treaties, between the conquering king and the people. The people say, yes, we will serve you. The king promises to provide and protect for them. But in my kingdom, you'll live my way. 
This is what we see in Deuteronomy. This is what we see in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Jesus will be your saving king. You'll live his way. And his way is good and holy. It's to live against the way of the world. But that's what document, uh, Deuteronomy is. It's a renewal of the vows. God is reminding them at the plains of Moab as the second generation has lost most of the first in the desert because they wouldn't believe and obey. They're back where they were about to go in the promised land 40 years ago. And he says, before you, the second generation going in, let me remind you, I was speaking also to you even more than your parents, and I call you to be faithful to this covenant. You are my covenant people. I gave you my law at Mount Sinai. That's most of the beginning of Deuteronomy. And now I call upon you to remember the Ten Commandments. He reviews them. And now he is telling us again what they are all about to live out in detail as we go into the promised land. That's what this is, a renewal of this peace treaty between God and his people, his covenant people. Covenant being a commitment, a giving of a formal, official, legal, really through the blood of Christ, a commitment of loyalty one to another, understanding our roles as he's the king and we're the servants. They're being reminded in Deuteronomy that they are God's people alone. And that he alone is God. And that only him shall they serve. No one else. Again, the context is this standard formula of a covenant peace treaty. The first thing we have in Deuteronomy is a preamble, a reminder that I am your God. I am your king. You are my people. You serve me and the mediatorial connection in Christ. And then he reminds them through the historical prologue, do you remember all I did to save you according to the promises to the patriarchs? And do you remember all of your unfaithfulness to me? And yet how I was so faithful to you and I kept working with you and I kept renewing and bringing you back to this day that now we can go into the promised land, that historical prologue of why we should be thankful for our king and why we should therefore be willing to serve him. And then the general stipulations, the laws of the king to the people, how you will live in my kingdom, what your life should be looking like as citizens of this kingdom. And God gives that through the Ten Commandments, which we saw in Deuteronomy 5. Now the next part of these peace treaties is usually the expanding, the expounding, the applying of how those general stipulations are to be lived out in detail. And that's where most of Deuteronomy goes next in order explaining each of the Ten Commandments. And right now we're in the first commandment, the exposition and the application of it by Moses of the Decalogue. They're specific expounding and applying. Presently again, the first commandment. And it began with what? The great Shema, explaining what is the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That means in my presence. And where is God? Everywhere. He's omnipresent. No other gods in my presence. I alone am God. I prove that through the ten plagues and the deliverance from Egypt. And I remind you, there is none other. Worship and serve and swear by me alone as who you are, what your identity is in formal covenant. Therefore, how you're to live your life. But notice how, again, this exposition of the first commandment by Moses begins with the great Shema. Verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And remember, Jesus Christ in the New Testament says, this is the greatest commandment, to love God with everything in you. 
The second is like unto it, Leviticus 19.18, he quotes, to love your neighbor as yourself, and in context, the whole verse, instead of begrudging them. But this is, the sec- this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord with everything in you. The greatest commandment. Now remember, both are love. The commandment is love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love. So we want to remember everything we're being told to do needs to be coming out of love. That we would have the heart of Jesus who loved his Father to do thy will is my delight because I love you. Just as you love me, Father. He spoke of Jesus, spoke of Jesus at his baptism by the Spirit is anointing into the mediatorial priesthood of prophet, priest, and king. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The, Father does the, the Son does the will of the Father because he loves him. Jesus is the fulfillment of Israel, spoken of often in the uh, collective singular Israel, my son, my firstborn son. Hosea 11.1, 1, out of Egypt have I called my son. Matthew chapter 2 quotes it and says this is really fulfilled in Jesus, who lives perfectly what Israel doesn't. So they get, keep getting kicked out, whereas Jesus secures eternal life for us in him. But we were on, remember, it's all out of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sends the son to save and love. Loves his people from eternity. Saves them to live in love. So it's all out of love. We need to remember that. Jesus says the keeping of my commandments is love. We want to remember that as we continue. And it starts with the great Shema. Love me. God says, love me exhaustively, love me exclusively, and here's what that will look like, the rest of what we have in Deuteronomy. After the Shema, we know that Moses then talked about what it's like we need to be remembering God with meditation, storing his commands in our heart, repetition with the family, morning and night and during the day, walking, sitting, wherever we go, teaching our children to do these things and love and know these things, and using memory devices to help us so that you don't forget and credit yourselves for where you are and who you are and what you have. That was most recent, verses 10 to 12. But the concern is where it will lead to in verses 14 and following. And this is a lot of what's related to, though we're still expounding the first commandment, no idols, no false gods of this world. Just as much a danger today, we just know how to package it more sophisticated, not always, but sometimes with more sophistication. No other gods in my presence, no other idols, including yourself. First Samuel 7, verse 3, reflects what God is saying today. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Remember, God was regularly letting his people be taken over, especially by the Philistines, because they turned away from him and went to false gods. And then there's always, it's, it's discipline. And then there's always that reminder by the prophets, repent, return, do away with their gods, serve only me. And then he did deliver them. And this is the call upon his people yet still. It's a merciful call to repent. You see, just as the renewal of the peace treaty here in Deuteronomy, God hasn't abandoned his church. 
He doesn't divorce his church. He's a faithful husband, even though we're unfaithful. It's a call to repent and to be renewed with him and to be restored and then to enjoy the blessings. A restored, reconciled married life is a happy marriage. As is the book of Deuteronomy, once again, after the first generation died in the wilderness over 40 years, now the next generation is here and God is reminding them that he's loyal to them and they are to stay loyal to Jesus, who is loyal to his bride, his wife, the church. And you can turn to 1 Corinthians 10 in the New Testament later to see that it is Jesus who was with them through the wilderness. God calls on you to be faithfully loyal to him in this covenant marriage vow because he's jealous. Not in the way we might think of it sinfully, which I think we think of paranoid and not trusting. No, real jealousy, that is, no one else. Oh, I think we can all remember, relate to that very well. I don't want you to have another woman. You're my wife. I don't want you to have any other, husband, any other man in your heart or by your body. You're my husband. We understand that. God is saying, I'm your husband. You're my wife. No one else. Verse 15, he's a jealous God. One of his names is jealous. We've seen that come up earlier. We'll revisit in Deuteronomy soon. He's faithful, and he expects your undivided attention and your undivided affection. Just as you expect of your spouses and they should expect of you. Now, the emphasis is on a call to remember your wedding vows with God, your membership vows, which at, out, see, cause at, at, at Mount Sinai, the church said, I do. And in Deuteronomy, he's saying, remember, you said I do, and now we renew and say, we still do. Sometimes marriage vows are renewed. People do that. We see that you are called upon by God to say, I still do. The emphasis in our verse is on swearing by his name. Now, there is a poetic flow of the verse in Hebrew. I'm going to share with you literally how the verse is outlined in Hebrew. So you might, if you, if you take notes, you might have in the left column three things I'm going to tell you, one under the other, and then in your right column, the other three things. This is the literal order of the Hebrew, and I think it is significant, and commentators say it is. Here's how it reads. The Lord your God, you all shall fear. And him you all shall serve. And in his name you all shall swear. Let me open that up a little bit for you. First of all, the Lord your God, you all shall fear. First of all, the emphasis, the Lord your God, you all shall fear. You don't fear anyone else. New Testament, you don't feel man, fear man, you fear God only, so you obey him. We will not fear man and do things they say in Acts that we're called upon not to do. We will preach the gospel, we'll fear God, not man. Called upon not to fear man who can only kill us once, feel, fear God only who can kill the body and the soul, so to speak, with eternal judgment. So this idea of fear is a filial reverence, not one that makes us run from him, but in Christ draws us to him with a desire to please and serve him and not disappoint him. But to bring glory to his name has the idea of worship, fear, reverence, and worship of the Lord. Now you see his call to fear the Lord in chapter 4, verse 10, chapter 5, verse 29, and it'll keep on coming in this book and through all the Bible. 
But 6, verse 2, notice, it wasn't so long ago. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou, and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. We'll get into all of it there. You can go back to hear that sermon. But notice there was already that idea of fear. And we revisited in Hebrews 12, I believe it's verses 20 and 21, where it says in the New Testament, even more so, we are to serve the Lord with godly fear. And remember in Isaiah it says that the one that trembles before the Lord and his word is the one that he shares his covenant with and he draws close with. So it's this holy fear of reverence and worship. So the Lord your God you all shall fear. Next, and him you all shall serve. J. Ritterbus means it has especially idea of offerings, you know, the tabernacle, the sense of the whole life centered around the tabernacle where God's presence manifested itself and later the temple. In Jerusalem, now in Christ the church, the spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit. But it has this idea of offerings, thanksgivings, praise, Worship, tithes, serving the Lord, worship and obedience, McConville says. That's the idea of service. You know, again, we've talked about uh, we serve the Lord with our times, our talents, and our treasures. And as we saw Bezalel and Aholiab, right? I got that right, Exodus 31. Their special gift by the Spirit of God was all of these development of beautiful things for the tabernacle, that we would serve the Lord with who we are. And then third, and in his name... You all shall swear. Now, we have the same idea in chapter 10, verse 20. I've looked ahead, and I notice in in addition there, I'll wait to comment on it, so we have a fresh sermon for you. There's a lot of repetition in these chapters, so I'm always a little intimidated. What do I say now? But the Lord always provides. And notice in chapter 10, verse 20, we have the same almost exact sentence again, only something's added. I'll allow you to hunt for it, and we'll come back to that later. But see that it's here again. Repetition is significant in the Bible, especially it's its way of highlighting and underlining and italicizing, remember. Chapter 10, verse 20. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God. Him shalt thou serve, and to him shalt thou cleave, and swear by his name. (coughs) Excuse me. This swearing is the idea of lawful oaths and vows, making a formal, legal commitment before the Lord with him as your witness and others as your witness, like in a court of law, and then held accountable to it. It's very biblical, by the way. In Matthew, Jesus is not correcting taking oaths and vows. He's forbidding taking unlawful oaths and vows, and he's correcting the Pharisees and the scribes, coming up with special ways of qualifying those things so that they can get out of them. That's what Christ is correcting. He himself takes a vow of that he is the son of God. And as he uh, faces Caiaphas, I believe, as he's in the trial. Chapter 22, excuse me. <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to take another cough drop. I don't mean to be distracting, but uh, I'm feeling my tickle coming back. So to try to minimize that. Um, chapter 22 of the Westminster Confession of Faith. Sorry, I think I misled you. I hear some pages turning. Not chapter 22 of the of Deuteronomy, but I remind you of our Confession of Faith. Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 22, is an entire chapter devoted to the topic, quote, of lawful oaths and vows. 
encourage you to revisit that. And a reminder, the whole class has been taught online now. You can hear it on sermonaudio.com with a lot of details, and it'll get into what is, what is Jesus talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. And show that these things are expected, especially the idea of a covenant with God about who you are and who he is to you. That you say, I turn to God as my Savior and I turn away from the world. I receive Christ and I reject the Antichrist. In formal covenant, in a public profession of faith in the church, and continuing serving and worshiping and renewing this covenant in the church. We're called upon to do this. But Conville points out that this idea of swearing by God's name, uh, in the context of the time and in this Deuteronomy letter, it identifies the God whom a person worships. By your making a formal covenant before God and his people in the world, you are identifying who it is that you worship. And as I believe it's actually Bob Dylan said, you're going to have to serve or worship somebody. So who's it going to be? you got two options, Jesus Christ or Satan. Satan will drag you down into eternal death. Jesus gives you eternal life and a better life here in the meantime. Oh, a more difficult life, the scriptures say, but as Paul points out, one that you can rejoice no matter what in, in him. Now, back to this poetic structure, the significance I want to draw out here. The Lord your God you all shall fear. And him you all shall serve. And in his name you all shall swear. That's the literal Hebrew order. So you get the second part, right? The second column is fear him, serve him, swear by his name. That's your obligation and response. But what is, what is the emphasis by the first column? The Lord your God, him, his name. J.D. Curd points out this is a common Hebrew function to emphasize the noun, The noun being God, him, his name. The emphasis in this verse is God. The emphasis is God alone. God is saying before you in this renewal, who is your primary everyone and everything? It needs to be God. It needs to be the heart of Psalm 73. God alone. John Curd explains such an oath in this verse was a Near Eastern practice of expressing exclusive devotion in a covenantal context, which is exactly it. So God calls upon us here to express our exclusive devotion to him in public profession and affirmation that Jesus is not only Lord, he is our Lord. That the Lord is not only the good shepherd, he's my great shepherd and I am his sheep and not a goat. And that we would continue to live this out and profess this. Continue to respond to his call to get back closer and follow him and be more faithful because he's so faithful to us perfectly. Jay Ritterboss explains that the idea of fear involves the heart. The idea of serving involves the hand. And the idea of oaths or swearing involves the mouth, which is leading us back to the idea of the great Shema. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul with all your might, with all your strength. That is, love God exhaustively. And love God exclusively. Don't forget God. He must come first and alone, always. 
So Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 33, let me ask you to do a spiritual inventory, an eternal inventory. Where are you with the Lord? You know he knows. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you as well. Or said this way, the Lord your God you all shall fear, and him ye all shall serve, and in his name ye all shall swear. And it's because of Jesus and what he did, sealing what God has sworn to you in the blood of the everlasting covenant. Hebrews 13 verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. God doesn't break covenant with us. He's a faithful good shepherd. He's a faithful husband. So he calls upon the sheep as the verse, it continues in verse 21, to do his will. whom be glory forever. Amen. You see, Jesus established we, his people, in him, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. P.C. Craig explains the word serve is in contrast to the house of slavery in Egypt, which God saved them from. And that is the historical prologue and context of the church at this time and the church of all time. I've saved you from slavery And I've brought you in to serving the most high living God, the only true God. And to have the joy and blessing of living in his law, his holy good ways, the law of liberty. Craigie says it's a contrast vividly from their old masters to their new masters. When he calls us to serve, the context is, stop serving the pharaohs of this world. Stop serving the treasures of this world. Stop serving this world. Stop serving Satan. Stop serving yourself. Serve the Lord alone. Serve Jesus Christ. Die to yourself and the reward is eternal life. Serving him forever in worship and offerings of thanksgiving and praise. In the new heavens and the new earth with a new resurrected body. We're reminded of this and to keep living like that. He's reminding us, you were in slavery, Christian, but you are now in Christ. Set free from death and sin and serving Satan in this world. Thus, as those who are redeemed in the everlasting blood of Christ's covenant, sealed on the cross, remember your membership vows and how you ever live out your life. In and for him alone. He is the king of kings. We are his servants and we serve at the pleasure of the king of kings. Remember your membership vows. Most recently, Abraham, our covenant son, and I speak of that broadly of our church. He, baptized in the Lord, wished to profess formally in covenant membership vows for himself, graduating into communicant membership, now taking the Lord's Supper with us this morning. Here are the vows that he took, that you and I took, professing faith in Christ before the Lord. Number one, he was asked, do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God, the only infallible rule for faith 
and life. Number two, do you believe in the one living and true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as revealed in the scriptures? Three, do you repent of your sin? Confess your guilt and helplessness as a sinner against God. Profess Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as your Savior and Lord. And dedicate yourself to His service. Do you promise that you will endeavor to forsake all sin and to conform your life to His teaching and example? That'll come up in Philippians tonight, his example. Number four. Do you promise to submit in the Lord to the teaching and government of the Puritan Reformed Presbyterian Church as being based upon the scriptures and described in the substance, in substance, in the Westminster Confession of Faith and larger and shorter catechisms, and the distinctions of this church as taught in the membership classes? Do you recognize your responsibility to work with others in the church? And do you promise to support and encourage them in their service to the Lord? In case you should need correction in doctrine or life, do you promise to respect the authority and discipline of the church? (coughs) Pardon me. Number five. To the end that you may grow in the Christian life, do you promise that you will diligently read the Bible? Engage in private prayer. Keep the Lord's day. Regularly attend the worship services. Observe the appointed sacraments and give to the Lord's work as he shall prosper you. Six, do you promise to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all the relationships of life, faithfully to perform your whole duty as a true servant of Jesus Christ and seek to win others to him? And lastly, number seven. Do you make this profession of faith and purpose in the presence of God, in humble reliance upon his grace, as you desire to give your account with joy at the last great day? He answered all those questions, and so did you, in covenant with Christ and his church with them as your witnesses, saying, I do. I will. That is a public profession of faith. That is a making of covenant vows to God and oaths to his people. And you renew it weekly in the Lord's Supper. A receiving of a constant reminder of God's faithfulness to you. And to remember him and renew your vows to him. So, (coughs) Pardon me. So we often sing... In Psalm 116, part of Psalm 116 is part of the Lord's Supper. We often sing uh, what was the sermon text for Abraham and Olivia's communicant membership vows. Psalm 116, verses 9, 13 to 14, and 17 to 19. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will take the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. I will offer to thee the sacrifice of thanksgiving 
and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the Lord's house, in the midst of the O Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. And the Lord is reminding you as he was the people at this time, keep that commitment. Renew that commitment in these means of grace at this moment. And let it be lived out through the week until the next Lord's Day, where we remember and review and recommit again because of his unwavering commitment to us, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and does not change like shifting shadows. Praise his name. P.C. Craigie comments about this swearing by the name of the Lord, this making an oath. He says, The words come to be synonymous with the true worshipers of the Lord. This saying, I'll take my vows, I'll renew my vows, I'll take the cup of the Lord's Supper, I'll continue to remember who I am and proclaim it, and keep changing my life, coming closer to him by his grace. This is the way that true worshipers talk and act. Not saying, well, you know, I can't really, sh- I can't make a commitment, I, I'm not really sure. No, I give my life to Christ, I have my life in Christ, I live my life for Christ, I say it again. God helping me in his presence before his people and before the world. This is what God is calling you to. Can you imagine if I were to marry some of you and you come up and the husband declares these kinds of covenant commitments and the the would-be wife responds, well, I think mostly, you know, I can't guarantee I don't want to end up saying something and then not living up to it. Can we see how it goes? I'm pretty sure you're going to hear the music go and everybody's out and we say maybe next time. This is not what God calls us to, to be a fickle, wavering people like James 1. He wants us to stay committed to Christ, to gladly renew our vows before him every week before the Lord and his people and go and live it out there before the world. This is how his kingdom will advance and take it over. And Craigie pointed us to Psalm 63, verse 11, that you sang together this morning. But the king shall rejoice in God, and everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. Remember, Jesus says, it's in our opening of the worship, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father in heaven. But he says, whoever doesn't confess me before men, I will not confess before my Father in heaven. And the end of that is eternal death, not eternal life in his Father's house. Covenant with him and renew the covenant. Now this is the way of the covenanters, the Scottish Presbyterians, in particular uh, the RPCNA and their heritage, other Presbyterians as well. You'll see it in how they often close a letter or close an email where you might say sincerely or blessings, you'll see, for Christ, crown, and covenant. I see one of you used to be in that church mouthing the words, praise the Lord. May they be in our heart and in our hands and in our mouth for Christ's crown and covenant. Or sometimes said this way, for Christ and his kingdom. Expressing the loving loyalty to the Savior King of his church And in response, our loyalty to him exclusively, 
exhaustively. To whom? To him who lived this law perfectly for you. Now, Matthew 4, verse 10. You remember in the wilderness, Spirit draws him there to pass the test on our behalf. Perfect obedience and great suffering. But Satan comes to tempt him. Remember, we've been studying these things Wednesday night too. Satan tempts Jesus to receive all these wonderful things in the world. After, you know, during that time of the wilderness famine for 40 days, as the beloved son reflecting the 40 years of the beloved son that didn't live it perfectly, to get us eternal life living perfectly this law that we can always stay in the promised land by him. But Satan tries to make this not happen for us. He tries to tempt Jesus, saying, just worship me. And I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. Just put me first. Me and the world. Let me be your authority in life. But what did Jesus respond? He referenced this verse today. Deuteronomy 6.13. Jesus referenced in Matthew 4 verse 10 in his response to Satan tempting him to serve and worship Satan to get all of this world. Jesus said, get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, referring to our verse today, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He was living out the covenant of grace by perfectly living the covenant of works. Fulfilling Psalm 40, quoted in Hebrews 10, To do thy will is my delight, and including a body hast thou prepared. He was going to give himself willingly to die on the cross to save us of our sins having lived the perfect life to give us his righteousness and eternal life. To do thy will is my delight. Beloved, let that be your heart to Jesus Christ and his Father, and in him our Father. And grieve not the Holy Spirit, but grow with the fruit of the Holy Spirit as you respond to this message, which is no other God's, There's no other mediator between God and men but the man Christ Jesus. There's no other name under heaven by which you are saved and you should serve but Jesus Christ. Five solas of the Reformation, the four solas are all about the fifth. By grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ alone, as revealed in the scriptures alone. But what for? Soli Deo Gloria, for the glory of God alone. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God, and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. Including as you will be tempted through the wilderness, that you don't be buried in it, like the first generation. But you enter into the promised land through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and brings you by a straight gate and narrow way, and few there be that find it. But may it be for you, beloved, every one of you, that you know Jesus Christ as your way of truth and life, that you are in the narrow way in him, and he used these means to keep you there unto the celestial city and the new heavens and the new earth and your new resurrected bodies and eternal worship and serving and swearing by the name of God and of the Lamb forever. Beloved, keep covenant with Christ alone in the meantime. 
Again, that's the message for you this morning. Keep covenant with Christ alone. Perhaps you need to be in covenant with him by his grace. Enter into covenant with him today. And may all of us keep covenant with him unto the new eternal day where there is no longer darkness, there is no tears, there is no pain, there is no death, there is no separated creation from our beloved in him. Keep covenant with Christ alone. Let us pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that you are faithful to your covenant of grace with the Father on our behalf. You have sealed it in the blood of the everlasting covenant. O Lord, renew and refresh us and cleanse us that we would be renewed in our professing of our covenant and who we are and who you are to us here in these means of grace and in the Lord's Supper that we would go and live that way serving you, fearing you and not the world and men. Thus, making a public, formal, legal profession in your church and living it out, swearing by your name. For it is the name of the God of Jacob that we are saved and delivered. And we trust in you to deliver us once and for all at the last great day. And we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly in the spirit. And all your people said, Amen.